TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan. This week, we're going to find out about the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease and what they're trying to do to help bring down drug costs, especially for those who need insulin. We're also going to find out about a recent survey of registered voters, some of them right here in Pennsylvania, and what they say about their concerns of health care. We'll have the details on clinical trials that are underway for acute myeloid leukemia, the most common type of acute leukemia in adults and one of the deadliest and most aggressive blood cancers. Starting us off today, Devereaux has a history of helping individuals and families in need. Devereaux Senior Vice President and Chief Clinical Medical Officer, Dr. Yolanda Graham, who specializes in child and adolescent psychiatry. Today, she joins us to talk about suicide awareness. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. What should you look for? How would you open a discussion? And we'll also tell you about 988, a new way to reach out for help. Dr. Graham, welcome. Nice to have you here with us. And we're here to talk about Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And first of all, Dr. Graham, it's it, the statistics are just really astounding. I, I agree, Paula. Um, thank you for having me. And this is a great time to be talking about mental health and mental wellness because the statistics really are astounding. And and unfortunately, I think that the statistics are only getting worse as a result of the pandemic and some of the unique challenges that individuals have had to face as a result of that. But what we do know, um, the most recent statistics that we have are from 2020 and according to that data, you know, an estimated 12.2 million people considered suicide in 2020, um, 3.2 million planned a suicide attempt, 1.2 million actually attempted suicide, and 46,000 people lost their lives to suicide in 2020. And if we think about that, if you really break down that numbers, 46,000 people is about one person every 11 minutes dying by suicide in 2020. And as I said, if we look at what has happened since the pandemic in terms of emergency room visits for self-injurious behaviors and suicidality and uh, mental um, issues such as depression and anxiety, we know that those numbers are only increasing. And when we're talking about suicide, it again, it's, it's one of those topics that so many people don't want to bring up. They don't want to breach. They, they really just don't want to know anything about it. So if you encounter someone And again, we all have our depressive days where we're a little bit down. But if you're encountering someone who is, you can really tell is having a problem, are there some things that you can do? Sure, that is a great question. And you're right. People, I think most people have been taught to avoid um, sensitive issues, feeling that is invasive. But avoiding talking about 
suicide only increases the likelihood that those who are really desperate uh, may succeed with an actual suicide attempt. And so there are lots of trainings now that are available that really focus on, you know, how do we as individuals um, in the community, as healthcare providers, as family members, as friends, as coworkers, how do we have the training to know how to talk to someone about suicide? And there's trainings that are called gatekeeper trainings that are really free trainings available online for people to learn. How do I have those difficult conversations and to, you know, really eliminate the stigma of approaching that conversation? Having a conversation about suicide with someone who you feel may be at risk can be the one thing that can save their lives. So it's really important that we don't shy away from those conversations and that we feel we have the competence to be able to um, engage in them effectively. Are there things that we should say rather than shouldn't say? Because, again, you go back to the idea of depression and, oh, buck up, it's only small, it's not a big deal, smile. Like Sometimes things like that, they're, they're more invasive than anything. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they can be very invalidating, you know, to the person you're speaking with. So, you know, the old expressions of um, it'll get better, don't worry about it, it's not that bad. That's really not helpful to someone who is feeling that they have no other options. I think, you know, comments or questions or statements that can be much more useful are, you know, being able to validate that you hear and understand what the person is feeling, asking the person what you can do to help, um, setting up regular check-ins with the person so that they know there is a scheduled time that they will be talking with someone about how they feel, and to be non-judgmental about the feelings. You know, people who are considering suicide, you know, it really feels like a viable option and a solution to whatever they're feeling in the moment. So invalidating that is not helpful, but having helping the person to set goals for things in the future, even if the future is tomorrow, like let's commit that we're going to talk tomorrow and engaging them in activities that get them out of their normal routine can be the most helpful things we can do in the moment. You know, and of course, being able to offer them resources. Many people, once they get to the end of a line where they're really feeling there are no other options, they may be so depressed that they really can't even look for available resources to help themselves. So being able to point them in the right direction can also be extremely critical. Are there certain people who may be more predisposed to being along the path of suicide rather than others? Sure. Uh, We know that some of the risk factors include having a known history of um, mental health issues. 46% of people who um, have attempted suicide have a known mental health history. Um, A family history of suicide is a risk factor. Um, Ongoing substance abuse, um, chronic medical illnesses, being under prolonged stress, having a recent loss of tragedy, but also there, there are groups of people such as the LGBTQ community where we know that the risk of attempted suicide is four times greater than the rest of the community. Um, veterans, especially veterans that live in, in rural areas, American Indian and Native Alaskans have a higher suicide rate than the general population. You know, and unfortunately, we're seeing that the risk of suicide is becoming even more prevalent in younger people, which was not the case in the past. And, you know, suicide at this point is the second leading cause of death in in kids ages 10 to 14. And that's just simply astounding for me as a child psychiatrist. And that was another thing I was going to ask you. Are there age groups that are more prominent than there are other ones? And you just mentioned children. Right, children. And this is something that we've seen, um, Paula, just over the last um, five to six years, the rate of suicide attempts 
in children really ex- increasing exponentially. You know, suicide is the third leading cause of death in um, individuals under age 24. So we know that the younger age group um, is predisposed, but this 10 to 14 year old age range, that is really new. It's the second leading cause of death. Probably the greatest risk is in you know, middle age range between 30 and 55, and we start to see the risk of suicide drop once we get to age 60 and older. But I think the area that we're most concerned about now is what you just mentioned, that that rising rate of suicide in younger children. And how would you know? I mean, again, you you can't just look at someone and know what they're thinking, or most of the time you really can't even know what they're feeling. But are there warning signs that someone would be able to say, I think we need to have a conversation? Yes, and I think we, we understand those warning signs better uh, in adults, and I think we don't have as great of an understanding in younger kids. But certainly, you know, in adults, we see um, you know, adults who start to withdraw from others. You know, the sever relationships, or they begin engaging in impulsive and reckless behavior. Um, any increase in substance abuse also can be a warning sign. Um, individuals who start to make plans, it's almost as if they're saying goodbye, where they appear to be tying up loose ends in their life, like paying off debts or organizing critical papers and informing people of where those could be found. And certainly, if you're aware of anyone who is actually um, gathering means to engage in a successful suicide attempt, then that should be an extreme warning sign, like starting to buy a weapon or collecting or hoarding pills. Um, But, you know, changes from baseline, and this can be challenging, especially for someone who's may suffer from chronic depression. Um, and, and so having those intimate relationships and being able to look out for those subtle changes in behavior is critical um, for kids. What we know thus far is that kids um, have a withdrawal from their activities. They may have a significant change in their personality and um, become much more impulsive than they have been in the past. And you're right. That must be very difficult because, as you pointed out in the very beginning of our conversation, the ages are skewing younger. They, they really are. And this is a population that, as a scientific community, we really have to understand better so that we can help parents with those warning signs. What we have begun to do is to provide education to parents around suicide prevention, even in a young age group, and starting to have very difficult conversations. There was a time where we didn't routinely, as a medical community, screen for suicide in kids under age 10 um, and considered that not clinically appropriate. That stance has certainly changed, where we recognize that it's important to start doing education and prevention and also screening at much younger ages now. And Having spoken to many others who are part of the Devereaux community, there are so many different areas where you folks are really on the front lines of everything that we've talked about today. We, we really are. And we take the issue of suicide prevention very seriously as a national behavioral health organization. Um, as you know, Paula, we're in 13 states and, you know, it's imp- and we treat individuals from birth to end of life. And we know that all of those individuals are at risk because they all are coming to Devereaux with their unique individual mental health um, challenges. And so it's very important for us to be have suicide prevention and zero suicide as a focus. So we train all of our staff, and this includes office staff, this includes you know, staff who may work in house cleaning or even for facilities. And how do you assess people for suicide? How do you have those conversations? How do you know what to look for? Because we recognize it's not only about prevention and the individuals that we treat, but it's also um, prevention for our coworkers or for the family members of our employees. And so training them in our training model, we use a a model called questions persuade 
and respond. It's QPR and the training is provided by the QPR Institute. But it is a training where we provide lay people with the information they need to be able to have those difficult conversations and be able to respond in the moment. One of the other things is across the country, obviously, people have become more tuned in to the fact that this is happening. And recently, there was a new suicide hotline that has been put on online. Can you tell us about that? Um, I'd be happy to, Paula. So the new suicide hotline, a prevention line, is 988. And this has been legislation that has been ongoing for multiple years. So we, we're extremely proud that this has moved forward. And, and the goal was to have a hotline with a simple number that can be easily remembered, that can be accessed anywhere in the country and internationally. So you can call or text 988, or you can actually engage in a chat with a live person at 988lifeline.org online. And, you know, this is relatively new. It just um, passed in the last several months. And what we're seeing thus far is, you know, we've always had a, a national suicide hotline. This really centralizes it into one number. And so data will be collected over the next year to look at um, whether there's an increase in utilization, whether there's an increase in actual um, intervention that results from utilizing the hotline. But it really provides an avenue for any individual who needs help to remember one number, just as we all know 911 and is is programmed into our brains, 988 is the new program for saving lives. Dr. Graham, anything that we have left out that you would like to make sure our listeners know? Um, I think one of the most important things, Paula, is what you touched on is really that all of us have a responsibility in the area of suicide prevention and anyone can be at risk. Suicide does not discriminate based on race, gender, socioeconomic status, political affiliation, or any of those other um, categories. So we really have a responsibility to educate ourselves and to make sure that if we do become aware of someone that's at risk, that we have the conversation. Avoiding the conversation does not save lives, but having the conversation can. Thanks once again to Dr. Yolanda Graham, Devereaux Senior Vice President and Chief Clinical Medical Officer, who specializes in child and adolescent psychiatry. You can find out more by visiting them at Devereaux.org. As part of Suicide Prevention Awareness Month here in Pennsylvania, you can find out many numbers, in particular for your situation, including Help for Moms, Agriculture, Veterans, Distress Disaster Relief, Get Help Now for Substance Abuse Disorders, and many more. Most of them you can find by going to dhs.pa.gov. And don't forget, as we mentioned in our interview with Dr. Graham, that new number, 988, that number, as easy to remember as 911, can put you in direct contact with someone who can help. Now, don't go away. Coming up next, we're going to find out about new trials that are underway to help those with acute myeloid leukemia. That's next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Dr. Robert Ang is president and CEO of Vorbio. He has the details on a new approach to treatment and how you can get involved in clinical trials now going on for those who have acute myeloid leukemia. AML, the most common type of acute leukemia in adults and one of the deadliest and most aggressive blood cancers. We're going to be talking about myeloid leukemia. And first of all, can you explain exactly what that is? Sure. So acute myeloid leukemia is a blood cancer. It's actually cancer of your blood system. In fact, the uh, acute myeloid leukemia cells are actually uh, normal cells that are part of the bone marrow that make blood cells that you need for survival. However, 
they get caught in this uncontrollable expansion. And so they end up taking over your bone marrow and it's inevitably fatal. But it is, however, one of the most common types of acute leukemia, correct? Correct. It is the most common type in adults. And it affects uh, roughly around 20,000 people in the U.S. every year. How does it happen? You know, it, it, if, if we knew that, I, I'd probably uh, have a Nobel Prize. Uh, these cells are mutated, and they, they end up having uh, several different genetic mutations that end up uh, making it uh, expand uncontrollably. Are there some people rather than others who might be prone to leukemia, uh, especially acute myeloid leukemia? You know, it, it really affects people pretty globally. Um, uh, there, there may be some with slight predispositions. It definitely happens more often in elderly years, but it can even happen to babies and, and children. Obviously, studies have been going on, and now you're going to tell us about a new approach to treating this. Yeah, so we're very excited uh, with our approach. But let me just uh, firstly mention that this this condition has been known for, for many years, and uh, chemotherapy uh, is actually generally fairly effective. However, patients inevitably relapse very quickly after chemotherapy. And so another revolution that happened was something called uh, bone marrow transplant. And this is where you could take a healthy bone marrow from one person, put it into the bone marrow of the uh, patient with cancer, and uh, these cells can live forever. And and that was really quite an amazing feat uh, around 50 years ago when it was first established. The issue, again, with that approach is that the cancer comes back. So what we're doing here at VOR, we're creating treatment-resistant stem cell transplants. So what we're doing is processing these cells before you put it into the patient to essentially make these cells superhuman in a way. They can resist targeted therapies, and we can create all kinds of new treatment opportunities for patients given this uh, novel approach. And is this something like chemotherapy, or is it something like blood marrow? How would this how would this happen in a patient? What would you give them, or what would you do for them or to them? Yeah, sure. So um, we're doing this for patients who are eligible for a bone marrow transplant. Um, so, so these patients have blood cancer, they have AML, uh, and they have been given therapy such that they are now a candidate for this um, uh, stem cell transplant. And instead of a regular stem cell transplant, we're providing this new uh, modified stem cell transplant that is treatment resistant. Now, what's really exciting is not just about the transplant, but that we're also providing new treatment opportunities after the transplant, where normally the standard of care is watchful waiting. You're basically waiting for the cancer to return. In our circumstance, uh, we want to be treating these patients to prevent their relapse and really aim for cures. Now, you mentioned Vorbio. Can you give our listeners an idea of the company and exactly how all this is working through them? Sure. So Vorbio, that's spelled V-O-R-B-I-O. Vorbio is a biotech company really trying to cure cancer. And so we are excited to be starting this first-in-human clinical trial uh, that's already enrolling patients uh, around the U.S., where we are providing these uh, next-generation bone marrow transplants for free, uh, as well as the subsequent therapies um, in, in this clinical trial. Uh, Vorbio, you can find out more about it on our website, so that's vorbio.com, V-O-R-B-I-O.com. There's a special tab there for patients and caregivers. So if you want to find out more about the trial, Head on over to that website and you can find out all kinds of information and whether you may be eligible. And as far as the trials are concerned, again, usually things like that happen in different parts of the country. Here we are in Northeast Pennsylvania. Is there a possibility that anyone in our area would be able to take part just because of the distance? No, absolutely. So we have uh, centers all throughout the United States. Probably the two closest centers to where you are are Hackensack, New Jersey, uh, as well as the National Cancer Institute in uh, in Maryland. Uh, 
and and so if there's problems with transport, we can also help with that, uh, even with accommodation. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of contact details you can find out through our website uh, where you can contact these clinical trial sites directly. And you mentioned exactly the way that the, the clinical trials and what they're looking for. And from 50 years ago, wow, that's there, there's been amazing strides, but you're hoping to take it even further. Yeah, you know, I, I think cancer affects everyone, right? We've each been touched by it in, in a different way. And what we want to do is, is really make a dance on cancer. I think it's really the most evil thing out there. And for the 20,000 people uh, in the U.S. suffering from AML, if we can do something for some of these patients and provide hope when previously there was none, you know, uh, we sleep very well at night. And again, I'm not going to hold you to this, but does it feel that what you're doing here for AML might be able to be used in other cancers at some point in time? A possibility? So at Whole Bio, we're working on a range of different approaches, uh, all very next generation using uh, different kinds of technologies that could pursue other targets as well as other diseases. And so we need to walk before we can run. We're starting with AML uh, being one of the most acute uh, unmet needs in cancer. And we think we could be able to potentially um, you know, spread it from there. Well, I hope to hear from you again soon. Dr. Ang, that things are moving in that direction. Anything that you haven't mentioned yet that you would like our listeners to know? You know, there's a lot of resources available. I'd again point folks to our website, vorbio.com. Uh, plenty of information there. Uh, if you're worried about uh, logistics or, or, or anything like that, please feel free to reach out. Uh, there's lots of resources on that website that you can contact. and. Um, Uh, Looking forward to uh, hopefully helping some of your listeners out there. Once again, that was Dr. Robert Ang, President and CEO of Bohr Bio. And if you would like to find out more about getting involved in those clinical trials for acute myeloid leukemia, you can go to their website, vorbio.com. That's V-O-R-B-I-O.com. Coming up next, we're going to find out about a recent healthcare survey and what those in Pennsylvania had to say, and why capping out of pocket costs for multiple chronic disease medications is one of the things that the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease is working toward on Special Edition. Coming up on Special Edition. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And we're going to find out about the partnership to fight chronic disease. They'll tell us why capping out-of-pocket costs for multiple chronic disease medications is needed to help bring down drug costs, especially for those who need insulin. 
Starting us off, a recent survey of registered voters raised concerns about health care across our country. Pennsylvania was in that survey. Fred Yang of Heart Research on behalf of Consumers for Quality Care gives us the details on what the survey found. And we're talking health care. And Fred, when you put a dollar sign in front of it, everybody has something to say. And you have new research out. Now, first of all, who did the research? Paula, thank you very much. Uh, the research was sponsored uh, by Consumers for Quality Care, which is a um, nonpartisan uh, healthcare, uh, healthcare advocacy group. And the actual research was conducted by Impact Research and Heart Research. Um, we are both um, Washington, D.C.-based um, Democratic polling firms. I do want to say, though, even though both of our both of us are Democratic polling firms, this was a nonpartisan project. And actually, um, on the website uh, for CQC, there is the actual questionnaire um, and deck. So anyone can see, A, the result, but also really see that there was no partisan slant to this. Uh, it was, you know, we, we, we legitimately tried, as most pollsters try, to measure what, what Pennsylvanians are thinking about this very critical issue. Well, and if there is one thing of many, this is certainly at the top of the list when it comes to across the aisle, because everybody, no matter what party you are, has to deal with health care and the rising costs of health care. So, Fred, you mentioned Pennsylvania, and of course, that's where we are, and our listeners here in the Northeast would love to find out exactly what you found out as far as the research is concerned. Thank you for the opportunity. And and first of all, um, I'm going to apologize. Uh, you know, um, literally there are there are shows devoted to just this one topic, and I know our time is limited. Uh, but one of the um, most important things um, that we found out was, um, number one, obviously for anyone, who, who, whether you're Pennsylvania or not, the, the top of mind concern um, for every American is um, cost uh, and the cost of living. And in particular, um, our survey found that um, 72% of Pennsylvania voters said the cost of healthcare um, was increasing more than other things they need. And Paula, you, you don't need to be a mathematician or even a pollster to know when you hit a number as high as 72%, it is, it is everybody. It's not one party or another. It's not one part of Pennsylvania versus another. You know, it's not like the Northeast cares more about or, or is impacted more by healthcare costs uh, than Western Pennsylvania. This is um, across the Commonwealth, spans gender, spans race, and spans party. This is a big issue for Pennsylvania voters. Absolutely. And again, when we're talking about the survey itself and asking people questions, what were some, and you're absolutely right, we could do an hour or two hours on this whole topic, but give us the high points, Fred, as far as what you found out uh, that people are really talking about and are really concerned about. Yeah, I, I would, um, so many things. Uh, number one, um, specifically with the healthcare issue, and this wasn't related necessarily, Paula, to cost. We just asked um, people in the survey, tell us in your own words, what's the single biggest um, issue people face with healthcare? And the number one um, answer by far uh, at 35% was out-of-pocket costs are too high. So, um, and, and to put that in context, 35% said the biggest healthcare issue are, are, are out-of-pocket costs. Uh, second place at 12%, was lack of coverage. Um, third place at 10% was too many people lacking access to mental health services. So all of these three issues I mentioned, out-of-pocket costs, lack of coverage, lack of access to mental health services, they are obviously very important issues in and of themselves. But when forced to choose what's the single biggest healthcare concern you have, 
35% um, immediately went to out-of-pocket um, healthcare costs. And related to that, um, Paula, you know, part of the problem with um, how to, um, um, you know, uh, out-of-pocket healthcare costs is that um, it's both deductible um, and also premium. And I would say um, healthcare costs is so top of mind to voters because in our survey, 42% of Pennsylvanians 42% that, that they have a chronic disease or health condition they're living with. So obviously when you have a chronic disease or health condition, you need health attention, you need medicine. And that's another sort of practical um, you know, poll result that this is obviously not just theoretical, but you have two out of five Pennsylvanians who make use of the healthcare system and they are experiencing high costs firsthand. And when you're talking about the healthcare system, Fred, this has this isn't just Medicare. This is for Pennsylvanians who have their own insurance or insurance through their companies, correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And um, and it's interesting, you know, um, in our survey, uh, again, trying not to point fingers, just uh, you know, being proactive. But when we did ask uh, respondents. Um, who's who or what is to blame most for uh, the high cost? The number one answer at a quarter um, of respondents was insurance. You know, insurance companies, um, uh, the insurance industry. A uh, part of that reason is that um, you know, for uh, for Pennsylvanians who experienced healthcare issues or had to deal with health healthcare costs in the past year, um, their two biggest complaints was um, there was something in their medical bill um, that they had to pay for directly um, that they thought was covered by their insurance but wasn't. That's the number one concern on healthcare costs. And number two um, was this issue of surprise medical bill. So look, I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of data here. The other thing I will say very quickly um, is in addition to the two and five Pennsylvanians um, saying that. Uh, you know, that they themselves have um, issues, um, you know, uh, healthcare issues, 45% of Pennsylvanians say that either themselves or someone close to them have had their finances seriously, seriously affected by medical bills. So we have this, you know, we have this sort of um, very tough choice for people. They, a lot of these um, Pennsylvanians have to get healthcare um, and, uh, you know, pay for healthcare items. But for a lot of them also, they're recognizing it's going to have a severe impact on a household budget that's already being squeezed by other costs. And the other thing that is also in this survey is Pennsylvanians were asked what they think could help. Can you give us a few of those? Absolutely. You know, lots of great uh, issues. You know, some of them were limiting uh, legislation, um, 85% of Pennsylvanians supported it, including over 70% of Republicans and independents, legislation that would set limits on what insurance providers and hospitals could charge for medical care. Uh, another um, strong item at 86% support was setting caps on the cost of medical care and procedures. And then finally, um, going back to some, a concern I raised a, a little earlier, 87% of Pennsylvanians um, supported legislation for, to prohibit surprise billing. Um, look, um, healthcare, you know, um, this is a very, very complicated, um, big issue. You know, this poll we did this year, Paula, was a follow-up to a poll we did in Pennsylvania a year ago. There is no change in the amount of concern Pennsylvanians have about the healthcare system and the healthcare costs. Um, that's always going to be a big issue. But what we did find in this poll, and your questions are getting to it, Paula, is that just hyper, hyper sensitivity and concern about just how expensive healthcare is and voters looking for really immediate solutions um, to help them and to alleviate some of the burden and stress. And before I have to let you go, if you would, one more time, just let our listeners know in case they would like to be able to look this over or maybe even find out more about such polls that are out there. Could you let us know the web address again? 
Yes, ma'am. Um, consumersforqualitycare.org. Consumers for the, the um, number four, qualitycare.org. At all the, um, the, the poll, the deck, uh, a memo should all be on there because um, obviously this is an important issue that's going to really be an all-hands-on-deck solution. And, you know, um, the greater transparency there is with the data, I think the um, better off we will all be. Fred, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate all the great information. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Fred Yang of Heart Research on behalf of Consumers for Quality Care, giving us the details on that survey. And if you would like to find out more about that survey or others, you can go to consumers, the number four, qualitycare.org. Again, that's consumers, the number four, qualitycare.org. Now we're going to find out about the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease. Dr. Kenneth Thorpe is the chairman of that partnership, and he's here to explain why capping out-of-pocket costs for multiple chronic disease medications is needed to help bring down drug costs as well as address chronic disease, especially for those who need insulin. Dr. Thorpe, we just had all of the different things that have been happening in Congress. And of course, medicine and medical is always on the top of the list. And there have been some updates to the discussion around insulin. Can you bring us up to date on that? Well, sure. So the Congress has recently passed a, uh, a piece of legislation that's starting in 2023 for uh, seniors, for Medicare patients, would cap the out-of-pocket expenses that patients pay at $35 per prescription. That's the cap, and we're hoping it'll be lower than that, uh, but that starts next year. And now that that has happened, again, insulin has been talked about because of the cost of it. So can you give us a little bit of the background on that, and why is there such a cost for insulin? Well, I think it's like a lot, a lot of drugs in you know, our healthcare system overall, hospital care, Prescription drugs are all very expensive. Some of it comes from the way that our uh, drug pricing works. Uh, we have uh, pharmacy benefit managers uh, that negotiate rates with uh, drug manufacturers, and there's an incentive to increase the price of drugs in order to give the uh, pharmacy benefit managers bigger discounts, bigger rebates. And those rebates go to the uh, pharmacy benefit managers and, in part, employers. So. One of the things the legislation didn't do is really deal with the bigger picture on overall drug pricing. And we need to sort of look at that uh, downstream in terms of how do we fix this sort of middleman uh, PBM system and direct those rebates and discounts back to patients. And when we're talking about drugs, I'm sure that many people are aware that there are generics. Is there a generic for insulin? No, not, I mean not really. I mean there are other there are other uh, drugs to to, uh, to treat diabetes uh, that are generic uh, that oftentimes have no copays. So the drug legislation is really focusing on brand drugs that don't have uh, a lot of competitors, uh, meaning that they don't currently have a generic uh, alternative. But they're for diabetes in particular and hypertension and elevated cholesterol, there are a whole host of generic drugs that oftentimes are available with no cost sharing. And when we're, again, talking about along those lines, are there things then that people are now going to be able to do to reduce the prices? Uh, you know, I, I know you said that they're they're going to put a cap on things, but you know, there are a lot of things that people see on the counter when they go into the pharmacy. Here's a card. You might be able to be eligible for this. Does that go into, because again, insulin is something that is a necessary drug for, not that all, not that all, all drugs aren't necessary, but in this case, this could be a, a difference between life and death. Oh, no question. A lot of these medications are the Essential component of managing a chronic disease, whether it's uh, type 2 diabetes or high blood pressure, add cholesterol, uh, people that previously had a stroke, for example. Uh, making those drugs affordable is really central. And 
what the legislation did, um, although we, we think it didn't go far enough, we'd like to see the $35 cap on insulin extended to other uh, medications to treat chronic disease. But it did place a $2,000 out-of-pocket limit on what seniors pay per year on all their medications. But unfortunately, that doesn't start until 2025. Right. So the insulin is actually coming in a little sooner, correct? That's correct. So the insulin cap is, uh, starts in 2023. Uh, the $2,000 cap on all medications for seniors starts in 2025. The other thing, too, is, and again, you are with an organization which deals with the chronic diseases are you seeing the cases of diabetes going up that more people would be required to be taking insulin? Well, we've unfortunately seen over the last 10, 15, even 20 years, a persistent increase in the share of adults that have one or more chronic conditions. Uh, unfortunately, it's oftentimes related to diet, exercise, nutrition, weight. Uh, it's sort of linked to the growth in obesity levels, which we've just continue to increase. It's well over well over a third of adults are, are now considered obese. Those numbers go up. And with the excess weight, uh, you're at higher risk of having a, a whole variety of these chronic conditions that we've been talking about. When we're talking about the whole idea of insurance, are there ways that people can maybe look at their policies differently, get in touch with someone. Um, again, right now it seems like insulin and the caps are coming in and it's going to help a little bit there. But in the long run, there are still people where it still might be expensive for them. Oh, no question. And, you know, there's a couple things you can do. Certainly there are uh, discount drug cards that are available. I'm sure that your listeners have seen them on TV, whether it's a good RX or or others that, that help. Uh, the drug manufacturers themselves oftentimes provide discount cards on a variety of medications. So uh, depending on the medication you're on, you can work with your physician to find out who manufactures it and uh, call their uh, 800 line to see what kind of discounts are available to you. So you do have some options. And can you tell us a little bit about the partnership to fight chronic disease for those who may not have heard of that before? Well, sure. We're, we started uh, just before the Affordable Care Act uh, discussion started in 2008. So we are the Washington, D.C.-based not-for-profit. Uh, we have uh, well over 80 organizations that include business uh, groups, labor groups, uh, patient advocacy groups, uh, health plans, uh, healthcare providers. We really cut across the whole spectrum of the healthcare industry, and our focus is really on three things. One is to find uh, ways to do a better job of preventing the growth in chronic disease. Uh, second is to find uh, ways to detect chronic disease earlier, so we can have a better shot at making sure that it doesn't become so severe. And finally, we uh, focus on uh, how can we work with patients in terms of the treatment side, to make sure they're taking their medications uh, uh, effectively, that they're getting good primary care, really uh, making sure that they're uh, staying as healthy as possible, even though they may have four or five or six chronic health care conditions. Dr. Thorpe, since there are so many different variables in there, is there one place that our listeners would be able to go if they have more information? Well, sure. If you go to our website, which is a uh, Fight Chronic Disease, one word, fightchronicdisease.org, O-R-G. Uh, we have a wealth of information there that I think your listeners would find interesting. Uh, we have a Pennsylvania-specific data in there as well in terms of uh, uh, prevalence and number of people that have different chronic conditions. But I, I would encourage your listeners to go look at that website. Dr. Thorpe, thank you. A lot of great information there, and we'll keep our fingers crossed for more good news along these fronts as time progresses. Yeah, hopefully this is just a start. We need to continue to focus on finding ways to limit what patients pay out of pocket for some of these uh, expensive uh, medications. So thanks for having me on. Dr. Kenneth Thorpe, Chairman of the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease. If you'd like to learn more there, their website, fightchronicdisease.org. 
And with all of the other information we shared today, the other places that you can go to find out more about anything that we've talked about, Devereaux.org has more information as well as the dhs.pa.gov website on suicide prevention awareness. You can find out more about the recent survey of Pennsylvania voters and voters across the country about health care and other issues by going to consumers, the number four, qualitycare.org. If you'd like to learn more about those clinical trials for acute myeloid leukemia, you can log on to vorbio.com, V-O-R-B-I-O.com. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.